4: Hello and welcome to the latest Forza Italian Football Podcast. I usually at this point say the only Italian football podcast coming to you from inside Italy, but for the first time this season, I can't say that because it would be a lie. I am home for Christmas. Kev is away for Christmas and Vito is still in Australia. Kev, firstly, hello and welcome back.
0: Thanks very much, Dolph. Well, um, oh. Hello from sunny California. Oh, I did it. I did it. Now Vito's laughing. Sorry, Connor. Hello from sunny California. I'm clearly thinking of Dov.
4: Hello from sunny California and goodbye from rainy. I am be missing train. him. Uh, that's ridiculous. I, Vito, you called me Dov already this season as well, I think. Yeah, a couple of months ago. I, I I don't know what I've done to earn that because, come on guys, I'm I'm much nicer than he is. I, I should in say. My, top, in, in my defense, I have messages open from him beside me. Okay, okay. Okay. I dread to think what they might be. Um, I should have said at the top, I am kind of fancy, your usual host, blah blah um, You guys, it's an absolute pleasure. Kev, why are you away for Christmas? What are you doing?
0: Well, as I uh, as I work for university, we uh, we kindly have Christmas shut down. And uh, in the last six or seven years, we've we've always gone away for Christmas. And, uh, and this year, we were invited out to friends in California. It's usually uh, Southeast Asia that I'm... Uh, wandering around at this time of year
4: Ah, okay so you always travel at christmas that's quite nice Mm. i'm quite envious of you like i guess i did travel this year but it's more my traveling is taking a break to be home for christmas so it's quite a weird one but maybe next year i'll stay in italy maybe right um and vito how was your christmas
1: Christmas was good, it was a big one this year, mostly because my sister's getting married in February, so we had our immediate family celebrating with her future in-laws, so there were probably about 30 of us, so big feast, and uh, yeah, what's the company? Ah, oh, nice one. Yeah, I attended a wedding over Christmas too, which I wasn't too happy about
4: having to attend, but it, it, was, it was a nice time, so it, it's good. Guys, let's, we've got two rounds of sorry. have to talk about this week, because we didn't do a podcast on the 26th of December because we were all busy enjoying our time Uh, but we won't focus too much on match specifics as a result of that because getting through 20 matches would be a little bit much so there are some outstanding things to have happened over the last week in Italian football some of them not quite as good as we would like to be talking about things that aren't quite as sanitary as we would like to be talking about and things that we, I'm sure I speak for us all in saying, are sick of thinking about, speaking about, reading about and listening about. And that is, of course, the issue of racism once again in Serie A came to a head when Khalidou Koulibaly was racially abused while playing for Napoli at the Stadio Giuseppe Meazza against Inter. And Kev, I... I'll go to you first on this purely because Vito and I have spoken about this more times than we would like to admit on this podcast. And it's just absolute madness that this is still happening.
0: It is. And uh, over in England, we've also had the uh, the banana flower in- incident at uh, Pierre-Emerick uh, Aubameyang. And, you know, it, it's just sad. You know, we're we're approaching 2019. It's still going on. Um what, what I really would have liked to have seen was the, not, well, not necessarily just the Napoli players walk off, but maybe the Inter players join them. You know, they all came out with the, uh, the supportive comments on their social media after the game. But, but what you really want from those players on the pitch with Koulibaly is, is a show of solidarity there and then. Because, dare I say it, I've mentioned in the past that the league's over. You know, so and, and probably even the, the Champions League places, those top maybe three places, uh, the con- contest for that is over as well. So them maybe getting dropped three or six points isn't going to affect them in the long run this season. But it would really make a statement to not only the fans across Italy, but
4: uh, the rest of Europe. That's more than that, too, because can you imagine if the two sets of teams walk off the pitch and they were deducted points? There will be uproar from all over the world that will bring attention to this. Yeah. And rather than it being, oh, look, there's racism in Italian football again, the focus will be on, oh, look, thing, people are taking a stand against racism in Italian football for once, which would be quite a refreshing view the, to take the, on it.
0: And the focus would be on the Italian authorities deducting points for the two sides doing something that's morally within reason.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I was quite happy to hear Ancelotti say that the game should have been suspended. If this happens again, we'll all just walk off the pitch. And a lot of the other Serie A coaches came out in support of what Ancelotti said. Vito, do you think this is just a matter of uh, words being quite easy, whereas actions are difficult? And if it comes to it, do you think that any other team, any other coach would encourage their players to walk off the pitch?
1: I personally have my doubts about that because... Just with the Italy in particular, they tend to be very, let's say, old-fashioned or stubborn in these circumstances. If uh, it does happen again, well, hopefully Ancelotti does keep his word because, as the saying goes, actions speak louder than words. So I think whether it's Ancelotti or if it happens to another team with black players, if the coach decides that they'll take a stand and walk off the field, then... Hopefully they do it and good on them uh, if they do, because there has to be some catalyst for change, especially in Italy. It's easy to sort of uh, pick on certain nations or question these people taking a stand, why is it a put-up-and-shut-up situation, but yeah, it's only until someone does something about it then uh, everyone else will take notice, whether it's throughout the rest of Italy or the rest of the world. Do-
0: during. Yeah, so during the match, during the match, though they they announced that they were going to postpone the game if they didn't stop, and whoever decided to make that announcement and again, I'm assuming the authorities, not either one of the sides, and they didn't follow through with it. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, you've got to you've got to follow through with it, really, because otherwise they know that they're getting away from it, and they will they will continually make this argument about it being the minority, not the majority, but it but it is the majority in the sense that if the person next to you is making that 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 noise, that comment you know, the derogatory, whatever it may be, you sitting there and allowing them to do it makes it the majority. Mm. And that's the only way it will be resolved is if they actually follow through
4: with their threats. You do kind of get the impression that every club was probably issued with this piece of paper at the start of the season that said, in the event of racial abuse, say that the match will be postponed. Don't worry, we will never actually postpone the match because that would be mental. Uh, It's absolutely maddening though, but are we... I don't know, we, we've we've seen in the past, wasn't it, Kevin prince got was getting abused in a in a friendly game for Milan, and he reacted by kicking the ball at the stands, which, to be honest, in that situation, I completely endorsed, do it. And then he he walked off the pitch or threatened to walk off the pitch. And Is it possible for a player to do that, Vito, in a Serie A match, or do they just feel almost contractually obliged to not do it?
1: I think it's a case of them being... Uh contractually obliged not to do it. Uh, Again, it just seems that in Italy there's this put up and shut up uh, mentality, which is sad to see. And without turning this into a north versus south Italy debate, it seems that these problems happen amongst northern Italian teams, whether it be in the Lombardia region, Veneto, um, and sometimes you get it in Bologna, in the Emilia-Romagna region. There's this discrimination, whether it be towards African players or black players or even just towards southern Italians. Uh, it's a shame that, you know, with Italy, it's such a beautiful country. It's uh, contributed so much to the world in, you know, many things, culture, history, sport, etc. But particularly in the north, um, they're just sad. The majority are sadly very intolerant of those that are not like them, whether it be people in appearance, mannerisms and all that. And uh, it's a big contrast to say Napoli where they like to think of themselves as Neapolitans, but if they have foreigners and they play well, they treat them like the adopted sons, whether it be Koulibaly or Dries Mertens. And if we go back to the past, uh, Diego Maradona was Argentinian, but he proved to be such a legend for them and they see him as an adopted Neapolitan. You don't see that with the Milanese or the Veronese if they do that with outsiders. So it, for us who don't live in Italy or haven't lived in Italy for a long time, it's probably not as easy to s- understand because it's just a different way of thinking, you know, because of the culture and uh, just how they are as people. We're probably used to what we are used to in other parts of the Western world or in English-speaking countries, whereas in Italy there are those differences that not enough people know about.
4: It is probably accentuated by the fact that he does play for Napoli because wherever Napoli go, there are the, the songs, the anti-Napolitani songs, and you were right to say that the people down there do treat players as Napolitani. Dries Mertens is known as Chiro because they've adopted him and they all showed up with the the signs saying, we're all Caladou or we're all Koulibaly after the the game against Inter when they play Bologna. but. It, kev he is right because it does seem to be quite a north Sec thing and now that i live in parma i'm exposed to italian culture a, a whole lot more than i ever was just visiting four or five times a year And are we are we being unrealistic to say that this is a problem that is just within italian football because quite clearly football just reflects what happens in society and this is a societal problem that is it out of the control of those who are in charge of organising football matches to control racism?
0: I think it does go beyond, you know, the football authorities, you know, they're not going to be able to solve the problem. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's particularly uh, just Italy Um, with, with Germany recently, we've seen the, uh, some issues with the Turkish immigrant, immigrant populations there, you know, and it, it rears its ugly head every now and again. Um, but, but you've got to make a start. Um, and as long as you're doing, I suppose it's, you keep your house in order, you know, and then let maybe the government deal with the uh, the, the wider societal problems, but it, you need to do something other than just be seen to be doing something. And, I think, and, and that's, that's the same in England, I think, who are, are probably lauded for the, the integration and the lack of, of what we maybe saw 30 years ago regarding the, the racial discrimination, um but even the the kick it out campaign it has a an element of a, a tick box exercise for the clubs to be to be seen to be doing something
4: we've we've got a comment to say that uh, it's it's often the same guy actually so one thing he says that i want to pick up on is that it's unfair that clubs are so harshly punished for these people Vito is the problem not that the clubs aren't being punished at all so the people see it completely appropriate and okay to continue this type of thing.
1: In a way it is, but also the types of punishments that are given by the Italian authorities are very lenient compared to what they are given in other European nations. Most of the time the Italian clubs have been given fines and they're rather small fines. So the punishments so far have basically been slaps on the wrists. In that case, if you're just getting slaps on the wrist, um, you're not going to really learn anything or feel any real consequences. It's easy to say, yeah, but uh, the majority are getting punished for the actions of a minority, but perhaps there's a more thorough way of uh, doing things to really send the message out That This might seem normal to the rest of to you, but... Uh, to the rest of the world, this is not acceptable. It's a different world, different times. We should be more open, more accepting, etc. So, whether it be finding the clubs or banning certain fans or even closing off certain parts of stadiums, even closing the whole stadium down, but you certainly uh, the Federation certainly needs to clamp down a lot more on these type of things.
4: even to describe it as a slap on the wrist I think is is exaggerating that it's not even that We see clubs get fined we see clubs have ends closed and we saw at Lazio they had their cover closed so they went into the other end and just well we saw what they did there with the the Anne Frank pictures and messages about the the Roma fans which were horrendous.
0: Let's not forget though this is this is not. Not out of keeping with how UEFA deal with racial incidents, you know. There, there's been several Russian clubs over the last decade that have just received a, a, largely a slap on the wrist. I, I can't remember how how many years ago that it was now, but there was uh, there was Nicholas Bentner got a larger fine for displaying a betting uh, agency on the top of his boxers when he revealed you know took his shirt off than, than a Russian club did uh, got for. Uh, Long-standing rush, uh, racism.
4: Yeah, it's it it kind of blows your mind, doesn't it? It is hard to work out how the those in charge see it fit to give out the punishments or lack of punishments that they do. It, it's it's quite depressing. Uh, it just doesn't seem like anything's going to change anytime soon. You said that it's it's nearly twenty nineteen now. It's not as if this is a new issue. This has been something that people have been dealing with for as long as we've been around, really. And it, it still hasn't been stamped out. It, do you think it's possible for this to, for sanctions to come into this from beyond Italian football? Is there some sort of body that could come in and stamp their authority on this without it being put into the hands of Legas the FIGC, who we've seen to be utterly incompetent at dealing with it?
1: I can't. I can't see it happening, but perhaps that's what it might take to really take a stand. If UEFA or FIFA, if they're really that serious about the "say no to racism" campaigns, then probably they might have to intervene. I just think it's a very small. There's a very small chance of that happening at this stage. I
4: have any final thoughts?
1: No, not really. I'd, I'd just echo
0: what um uh, what Vito just said. I think it it would be nice to see uh, an external body come in and and be able to actually have some control and maybe in, enforce some some stricter um fines and and and, th- and things but UEFA aren't doing it so I, I don't uh, I don't hold out much hope that that will happen.
4: Um a, a lovely optimistic enough beat, beat way to kick off this week's happy podcast. Yeah, happy New Year, guys. Um Right, let, let's move on from this, shall we? Because no doubt we will be having the same discussion in two more months when there is someone else suffering racial abuse. Because we did also see it at Lazio, where Torino player was a mate, got sent off and there were monkey chances he walked off the pitch, which is twice in a week. Excellent, excellent stuff. Um, Right, let's start with Let's start with some more controversy, shall we? Juve, over the the Christmas period, guys, they drew 2-2 away to Atalanta. And then they went and beat Sampdoria 2-1 at the Allianz Stadium. And Vito, it wasn't completely transparent, (laughs) their reasons for winning here, were they?
1: Yeah, well, it's not easy to be impartial in these situations or to be placid and to just accept things for what they are. Uh, It's easy to accuse others of being in this victim mentality and things like that, but when it's your team in this situation, you can really feel that there's a lack of justice in this situation. I fully accept that Samp aren't one of the big teams in Italy and I accept that we are nowhere near the standard that we were back in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, where we were competing for trophies and winning trophies. We're a long way from that. The glory days are long gone. But when it comes to decision-making and uh, giving everyone a fair go, these kind of things are rare in Italy. And unfortunately, on the weekend, Doria were the unfortunate victims. Uh, we can talk about how... Some were probably given the benefit of the doubt with the penalty decision, which Cuellarella converted after Emre Chan was a judge to have handballed the ball in the penalty area. But the penalty that Ronaldo converted after Alex Ferrari had supposedly handballed, I think mean, that was just absolute garbage. Uh, you can see why there's this anti-UV agenda. I can acknowledge that the big teams around the world get the benefit of the doubt, but that was too much of a benefit, uh, I really can't see how anyone could have interpreted that as a handball. And uh, if I was Michael Giampaolo, I would not crucify Alex Ferrari at all. Um, in that situation, Alex Ferrari should feel very unlucky and unfortunate. And uh, it's a shame that these controversies happen. And worst of all, it's unfortunate that they keep happening when it involves Juve because with the history they have, it just gets multiplied even more and scrutinized even more.
4: It's crazy, isn't it? Because that that penalty that Juventus were given,
1: it's just so obviously not a penalty.
4: I don't even think that's it's possible to interpret that as a penalty. His hands are by his side and the ball comes at him and it happens to hit his arm. But to give that as a penalty is crazy. He couldn't do any more to avoid that hitting his arm other than remove his arm in the time that the ball was coming towards him. Because it, It was ridiculous. The Emre Can one was probably more 50-50. I personally thought that was a penalty because Chan's arm was up and it was a bit silly. But even the goal, Vito, the last-minute goal that Sapanara scored, there was a bit of controversy about whether or not that should have been called as offside because Sapanara was in an offside position. But there was a little bit of confusion as to who the ball actually came off to find
1: Sapanara. Look, from the camera angles I've seen, um, the ball did come off Alexandro, but from what I've read in other posts and also links to the FIFA interpretation of the law, uh, that goal was unfortunately correctly disallowed because Saponada was coming back from an offside position, although the ball was deflected off Alexandro. That being said, it's still gut wrenching to see uh, see that goal disallowed because it was a fantastic goal by Samponada. The technique, the power on the shrunk, it was absolutely sublime. And to get a draw in Turin against Juventus, especially after lose, losing rather comprehensively the last three times in Turin to Juve, you, you know, a win, it would have felt like a win for Samp if they got the 2 2 draw. So, regardless. Of the decision, you know, There's a part of me that still would have liked to get a point somehow, and yeah, it's uh, yeah a very hard one to take. So probably until Serie A returns in three weeks, maybe by then I'll be over it. But yeah, you just you know when you're not supporting Juventus, you've got to cling on to any points you get, and Genoa got points off Juventus, so we <laughs> too.
4: I knew it was something deeper at play there, Vito. You know, thank you for exposing it so late on. But Cap, do you think this um, raises questions with the whole VAR process as it is? Are there flaws there that still need ironing out?
0: I think Vito needs a drink. <laughs> um, yeah, I,
4: I, I'm. I've.
0: You know, we, we're yet to embrace VAR um, in English football yet, yeah, and. Um, you, I've obviously seen it for a couple of years in, in Italy and, and and the whole process does really really sort of get to me a little bit it's it's the whole the ref jogging over to the sidelines and then looking at the screen. And then there was, there was something last year, I think it was the, I think it was the Rome Derby when I, I, because I'm sad, uh, I put the stopwatch on I think I counted about eight and a half minutes while the ref went over to the screen and then decided to jog all the way back to the, uh, to the penalty area to then in a, in a relatively flamboyant uh, way, give the penalty. And it, it's just, oh, it, I hate to use the phrase, it's sort of killing the game, but there must be a quicker way of doing this. In the way in which the, the goal line technology signals something on their wrist, the goal has gone over, it's used the Hawkeye um, technology, and and I would like to see, and I know talking off air you disagree, but I would like to see it taken away from the judgment of the actual on-field referee and Varby entirely uh, external to the to the to the pitch, and they will almost pass the, their own judgment down.
4: Well, then, the question I have for that is where where do you draw the line? Because surely then there's an argument that referees aren't needed, and that it can all be just done by some guy sitting in a box beside Heathrow Airport, as the, those on Sky Sports were so keen so keen to tell us every time we saw VAR used <laughs> in the Cup last season.
0: Well, I think to relay the to relay the uh, the message to the the players, you're always going to need somebody on the pitch, and and, and how often are we talking? And to be honest, in Italy, if you look at the World Cup uh, experience, which which passed off relatively positively, I think to everybody, we still seem to be using it far more in Italian football than they did in the World Cup. It seems to be three or four instances every game. Maybe I'm over exaggerating, but it feels like it. It feels almost in, well, it may be in, in every single game uh, of a weekend, there is a VAR, there is a the use of VAR, almost that they turn to it too often because they're second-guessing their their first interpretation of, of what happened.
4: We did see that at the start of last season when it first came in. Um, I, I wish I knew that we were going to talk about this beforehand because there were very interesting statistics that Legos-Areal produced both midway through last season and at the end that showed that the use of it after about mid-October, dramatically decreased. So at first, referees were consulting everything, going there for everything. And then it, they went the opposite way and were too stubborn and standing by their own decisions and never using it. And then it kind of plateaued out in the middle somewhere. But then they changed the rules again this season. So I think the referees are starting to find their feet with it again. I do think this, this weekend was particularly out there in terms of how much it was used. That Sampdoria Juve game was mad. We don't usually see games like that. And those incidents where it takes a long time to get a decision correct are are the minority, I think. Um, Generally, I'm quite happy with VAR in Italian football. I do think anything that helps us get more decisions right is ultimately a good thing.
0: I think there's an argument for the for the refs to be more liberal with letting the, the play flow while somebody is calling back a goal. Because not a lot happens, really. And, you know, the rare occasions that somebody will score within two minutes of maybe conceding or maybe scoring and then and getting a second. I think with the time that somebody's celebrating, you know, that you can pull the play back and not too many people would, would complain about that as opposed to the actual wait of maybe six or seven minutes while the referee is conjecting what's going on.
4: Okay, that, does then, mm, that does uh, then I have me. been sent some statistics from Ooh, I love a stat. from the boss who who's always watching um like I said I published a report after one year of VAR the mistakes went from five point seven eight percent to zero point eight nine percent VAR intervened once every three point three nine games there was one red card for one red card for complaints versus eleven for the same reason last year and actual playing time increased by 43 seconds.
2: How would you like to look 5 years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC.
3: Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
1: Yeah, amusing in its own way, but uh, you'd hope that VAR can be a lot more beneficial. For me personally, I think at the World Cup, they did it well, and... I reckon they do it well in the German Bundesliga. But uh, I think in Serie a, it's just far too inconsistent because there aren't straight-line rules. Uh, sometimes it's down to these interpretations. And every referee has their own interpretations. So I think that's where the added controversy comes from.
4: But is I that think not so. a problem with the laws of the game? Because the laws of the game are, of course, open to interpretation. So it's kind of a never-ending spiral the referee can watch an incident back and if there are three referees there you might get three different decisions three different opinions on what has happened but like there are obviously these rules in place for far but it just seems like at times the referees go from what they were taught last season to what they were taught this season and then they end up getting caught up in a circle and not knowing what to do um there's nothing interesting happening in the questions guys you need to up your game let's move on Uh, something I want to talk about with Juventus actually Kev is um Sami Kadira, because he hasn't been very good he he really hasn't Emre Chan as well when he's played this season he hasn't quite been at the level Juve would have wanted him to be at and Kadira was pretty poor again
0: yeah I, I, I think uh I made my uh, thoughts known about the fact that I didn't think Emre Can was going to be any major improvement on 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 Kadira. Um, I think, really, I think maybe Juventus were hoping he would be, um, and then they had the they'd have the opportunity to cash in on him if they if he didn't because they got him from uh, from Liverpool for for free. Um, the argument is do they need someone in that role for the majority of the season? Um, and, and would they be willing to splash the cash on maybe a significant defensive midfielder just to win the Champions League? Um, I think it might rest on how far they go this year with the uh, the financial outlay that they made to uh, hope that Ronaldo takes them that, uh, that final couple of hurdles to the title.
4: Well, you watch English football more than the rest of us do, and they've been linked with um, Aaron Ramsey. Andrea Pirlo has come out this week and wholeheartedly endorsed their their interest in him. They, he said that he, they should do everything they can to sign him. Would he make a difference?
0: Ramsey's one of those midfielders that runs beyond the the striker, if you like, Um but you'd argue that Juve score enough goals as it is. And to me, it just smacks, again, similar to Emery Chan, of a really savvy financial move from uh, from Juve.
4: But the thing, Ramsey's wages are surely going to be astronomical, given that, that, isn't that the reason he can't agree a new contract at Arsenal? Because his wages are too high. So it's a strange one to me. But Allegri was questioned after this game about Juventus showing signs of nerves, both against Samp and in Bergamo. And he didn't actually dismiss it. He said that these are things that the players have to learn how to handle. Vito, you would have thought that this is the one thing that they are very good at handling, given they've won the last seven Scudetti.
1: In Italy, you would think that they would be able to control their nerves much more. But I still believe it's a reflection of Allegri as a coach And also his tactics, despite the domestic dominance, they're just doing enough to win games and waiting for opponents to make a move. This mentality, in my mind, is not ideal if they really make a serious push for the Champions League. Uh, The more conservative approach won't work these days in Europe, and it's all about Being more proactive, and I don't think you will go down that path enough because they're not tested enough in Italy. So hopefully when it comes to the knockout uh, fixtures in the Champions League, the Atletico one, I reckon, will be a tight fixture, but let's say they win that. Uh, Whoever they face in the quarterfinals will probably be a more proactive side than Atletico, and they'll have more confidence on the ball and, no. provide a lot more flair. So I think if they're feeling a bit nervous now, then I'd have to imagine how nervous they would feel in the Champions League because, uh, you know, without using any profanities, I think they're going to really proverbial in the pants in Europe if they don't uh, calm down and show more belief and confidence, especially when they have the ball at their feet.
4: Excellent way of avoiding the explicit content tag on iTunes thank you for that Vito Uh, but Aaron Holland comes in and says any addition that Juve go for will help especially with the fixtures piling up at the second half of the season Uh, yeah but I guess they they usually get their transfers right don't they but look let's move on from Juventus Napoli had a a mixed bag this Christmas Uh, Eric Milik scored a big goal oh excuse me Eric Milik popped up Came up big for them again against Bologna. and He's having a great season. He's into double figures now, Vito. And he's really showing his worth and his versatility, surprisingly.
1: Well, I'm very happy for him because of the injuries that he's had. He hasn't been able to show that full potential. Pardon me. This season, he hasn't had those fitness issues. And Ancelotti, as we've mentioned several times in previous podcasts, has been able to rotate the squad. I really think Milik is probably benefiting from uh, Ancelotti's coaching because he doesn't overuse him or underutilise him. So it's great to see him get those goals. And even though he might not be overly beneficial in Serie A, I think I see benefits in the cup tournaments if they take them seriously enough. Instead of just having Insigne or Mertens, they've got Milik and, When he's chipping in with the goals, and he doesn't have to score the fancy ones like Mertens or Insignia. He can just score the simple ones. He's doing that job. And if he continues, I think uh, Napoli, they're going to be a real threat in the second half of the season.
4: Yeah, he can score the fancy goals too. We saw his free kick the other week, but although Kev wasn't impressed. And his winner against Atalanta was superb. The take the technique involved, and then the finish there was was absolutely fantastic. We we did spend a lot of time early on talking about two unfortunate issues, so let's keep going through this. Um, Lazio, guys, Kev, Sergei milinkovic Savage is showing up, finally. Is it because the transfer window is about to open?
0: It could be. I hadn't thought of that, actually. <laughs> uh, I wasn't sure if it was a little bit of a hangover from the World Cup. Um, for someone so young, a lot of Serbian hopes sort of rested uh, on his shoulders. Um, I saw him getting a lot of uh, of disappointed uh, comments on, the, on on social media about how he didn't really turn up for, for them in the world Cup and, and then maybe he was itching for a move then over the summer. He's clearly a, a talented uh, talented young man. That striker visit the weekend was uh, was phenomenal. Um, had it not been for maybe uh, Qualiarella or uh, Zaniolo um, he might have even won goal of the month um, but on a, on a wider point uh, I think if Lazio want to secure that uh, that fourth Champions League spot I think mean, he really needs to, to start turning up more now at the turn of the year and hopefully it's not just because the transfer window is opening
4: yeah, I'm looking at our nominations for goal of the month in our private chat and he didn't even get a nomination. Kev, you didn't even put him forward to it. So.
0: Well, because I couldn't put him ahead of uh, Zaniolo. So, uh.
4: <laughs> okay, fair enough. You did only nominate one, which is poor. The rest of us are ch- chiming in with a, a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, come on, Kev, you're better than that. Uh, but Vito, do you think that it is just because the window is opening that milinkovic savage is up to his form? Because uh, obviously Mourinho get the sack from United, who quite famously pursued milinkovic savage in the summer, is he seeing Pogba's form now thinking, I want a bit of that?
1: Perhaps he is. Pogba has been fantastic since Solskjaer took over at Manchester United, so maybe it's a case of uh, milinkovic savage really wanting to replicate that or show that he can be just as good, if not better. I do believe that also with the recent formation changes, I think that's really benefited milinkovic savage uh, going forward to the 3-4-2-1 formation uh, has helped because you've got Luis Alberto and Joaquin Correa playing behind Chiru Immobile. So there's extra creativity. And I reckon that helps Lazio more when they're going forward. So with bit Savage, he can make the late runs and also get into those scoring positions because there isn't just one reference point or one chief creator up forward. So I think... Uh, Tactically, there have been some changes which are to the Serbians' benefit.
4: Across the city now, to the, the moment that Aaron Holland has been waiting for all season, Roma, correct me if I'm wrong, have won two games in a row. Wow. They've actually won two games in a row, guys. And, which takes me on to one of the comments, which has just come in from jo- Jose Lazarte, which is Roma, Atalanta and Sampdoria will fight for the fourth spot. Lazio and Milan won't make it, and Kev. This goes back to a conversation we had before we came on air. Which is that it's crazy that we've criticised Milan so much, and Lazio have had their criticism from us too. But they are still in fourth and fifth place. But Jose says it will be Roma, Atalanta, and Sam fighting it out for fourth come the end of the season.
0: I hope so. I really do because I think I looked at it and I I sort of I think I I maybe sort of flicked over to the to the league standings after the. the round of 18 games. And I just saw that Milan and, and Lazio were still there fighting away for, for that fourth spot, but still 20 plus points away from Juve. And the way that, uh, Atalanta have certainly in recent weeks and Sampdoria have been performing. I, for some reason, I've maybe taken my eye off of the league table and expected them to have been the ones above Milan and Lazio. They, they get a lot of criticism. The, uh, the duo do, but, um, the others, the others maybe just haven't taken their chance, but you'd like to think they will do because there's not a lot else to get excited about at the top end of the Serie A table.
4: It's weird because we see all those teams, but they're still all so capable of losing. Like Atalanta went and beat Inter 4 1 a couple of weeks back and then lost away to Empoli having been 2 0 up.
0: And then, well, after, after Sassuolo uh, and Atalanta's goal fest. Uh, Yesterday, I kind of thought, well, they're the two. They're the two really entertaining. Well, sorry, Vito, as well. But they're the two really entertaining sides uh, in the league. But then you look at the goals for and against asuolo and although they're one of the top three or four goal scorers in the league, that they've conceded almost as many as they, they they've scored, and that's maybe why they're full, They're not making that push.
4: Yeah, well, even Atalanta, they're they are Serie a's entertainers this year. They've scored more goals than anyone else, which. When you bear in mind that there was a six-game spell in which they didn't score out in five of those matches, that that's astonishing. They're averaging nearly three goals a game. It's amazing. But they've also conceded 27 goals already. With each. That, that's, I think it's the worst defense in the top 10. 27 goals to concede in 19 games is quite a lot. So they do I think need to well, 30,
0: 32 scored and 30 conceded but um, uh, the
4: other way around they've scored oh, 32 okay, no conceded around. 32 which is crazy that they have so many points but there we go um At- Atalanta then boys they are Serie as entertainers this season and Kev I saw you piping up on Twitter on the 26th of December saying Parma are a point ahead of Atalanta well not anymore they're not Kev um Still looking good for that fourth spot challenge, I'll have you know. And Vito, Duvan Zapata is, he's doing what Atalanta brought him in to do. He, for the start of the season, he wasn't, but he scored in six, six games in a row now. And I think I saw an opta Paolo stat earlier that said he scored nine goals this month, which is the second best monthly tally in the history of Serie A.
1: It's incredible what he's doing. He's got 10 goals for the season, but it has been due to that run in the last month or so, and he's been absolutely fantastic. If uh, he can sustain that, I think then Atalanta, they might actually make a really serious push for the Champions League. In the past, the problem with Atalanta was that they would have contributors from all over the field, but whoever they played in that true centre-forward role was not getting enough goals. Now they've got a center forward who does what center forwards are meant to do, and that's score goals. Don't worry about hold the ball up, knock balls down, chase the ball when it seems unlikely to get it. It's all about putting the ball in the back of the net. And Zapata, he's not just scoring the simple ones too. He's actually showing some mobility, some good technique on the ball, especially the first goal he scored against Juventus. So it's great for Atalanta that he's able to do that. And uh Without going too far off topic, I think uh, you know for the next Copa America, Colombia should take a serious look at putting him in the team, even if it means starting him over more experienced uh, strikers.
4: Absolutely, um, Uwe has come in and Uwe has come in and said that Atalanta and Sam can't go all the way. I, I think he might be forgetting that two years ago Atalanta finished fourth with a much inferior squad to the one that they have now. Um, Aaron Holland Kev is demanding an apology from you to Robin Olsen are you going to give it to him nope good Stand <laughs> he, firm. Still
0: make, he still makes too many little mistakes for me sorry no
4: you're absolutely right
0: he's and, no Allison. remember I'm watching <laughs> Allison on a weekly basis now
4: don't bring that up Aaron will cry he's also said that this year has been so long that at the beginning we didn't know the legends Piontek and there. one of those things is true but My year has been enriched from discovering the thing that is Federico Santander.
0: You must have enjoyed him scoring and not realising that he'd scored. What was that? I I don't know what he was
4: doing. I don't know why there was confusion, because he quite obviously wasn't offside, but he was the most shocked that I've ever seen a human be.
0: I can only assume he thought it had hit the side stanchion for the net. And then, and then, brush the net as on its way back out. But it was his reaction was, uh, it was it was a Christmas gift.
4: <laughs> it was it was bizarre, wasn't it? Um, it shows he has some faith in his own ability as well that he, he heads the ball from six yards and thinks that he's missed. What a guy! Um, what a useless, useless man. But sorry, Federico, I, I don't care if you're Bologna's best player. You're the worst striker I've ever seen in the flesh. Um, Before we move on from Atalanta, guys, Gomez and Josip Ilicic are an absolute joy to watch. And Ilicic scored his third hat-trick of the year. He's now the only player to ever score three hat-tricks away from home in a calendar year in Serie A. And he only came on after 63 minutes. Vito, this guy is a
1: magician. He's one of those players that on his day is fantastic, and against the uh, Sassuolo, he certainly was. Uh, they were all three well-taken goals. The, th- the third one, to make it 6-2, I think was probably my favourite, probably because he went for a run and then took the shot from just outside the box, so uh, that was a nice one to see. And the only problem, again, you know, with some of these plays, it's a matter of consistency and uh, Yeah, with a player like Ilicic, he has those mercurial abilities. If he can uh, produce this type of form more often, then again, he's another player that can really help Atalanta make that push for a Champions League spot because you can't let Papu Gomez do all the creating. There needs to be other players to take the responsibility off him and Ilicic is one of those players.
4: (laughs) I mean, you say that, but Papu's been doing a pretty good job of it for the last three or four years there. But you are right because... At times, they are just so, so reliant on Papu. Even when Ilicic plays, the first pass is always to, to the Argentine. Um, guys, Kievo haven't lost a game since the beginning of November. And they got their first win of the season at the weekend. They are still bottom with eight points. Forazanone are 19th with 10. Then it's Bologna with 13. But then in 17th, we have Empoli on 16 points eight ahead of Kievo, but am I going mad? Because I think Kievo are going to stay up, Kev.
0: Uh, oh, I think you're, I think you're being a little bit, uh, a little bit
4: optimistic. Um, well, well, look, do we, do we actually know that they can be relegated? Because every year they seem to survive every year. They should go down, but they don't, uh, Really?
0: It's a, bit, it's a bit like when somebody gets, a, a say, a 12-point lead at the, uh, at the top of the table. Um, the fact that, that they've got an eight-point deficit to make up with Empley at the moment, it, they, it, it was such a poor start. who's had the points deduction. I, I think this is going to be the year that they unfortunately drop.
4: I did get ahead of myself. They did, of course, lose to Sampdoria just last week or not even last week, but over the Christmas period. But aside from that, they've, what is it, the last eight games, they've lost once. Um, they've been putting together a good run of form. But no, I disagree. They're, they're going to stay up. They're going to do it somehow. They're going to do it. They've got Sergio Policier. They've got Stefano Sorrentino. And they're gonna they're going to pull it out of the bag again. And it's going to be the most remarkable achievement yet. And our boss is going to be more insufferable than he has ever been he's already popping up in the comments look at him oh, he, no, he's, I just I saw his name in the comments assumed he was having a pop about Kiev being amazing but he's just having a dig at Santander which I like, fully got behind
2: he uh, says, what's Santander, his name
4: again? Um, uh, <laughs> let's not do that he says Santander is so rubbish that even he can't believe that he has scored when he has that's uh, it's true everyone was stunned um, but guys I think we might be finished oh Kev one man I am gonna make you eat your words about is Super Donnarumma. He's back.
0: Well, I think um, I, I don't know about eat my words. I think mean, my my issue with him at the start of the season was, was, was very much that it was the performances at the start of the season and the fact that Milan had. I'm not. I I haven't watched Milan a lot over recent weeks, I must admit. But certainly the 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 little errors out of his game have seemed to have gone. And I'm not sure if it's a a move away from at the start of the season when Gattuso clearly had them uh, playing out from the back. And my argument was that 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 Reina did that so well uh, at Napoli that it was maybe time, given his tender years, to give Donnarumma a bit of a break. Um, Obviously, he's not a fan's favourite uh well maybe he is again now but certainly after his contract uh wrangling he wasn't and um you know it, it's nice to see somebody come through it like that especially a goalkeeper uh, and if he's performing well then i'm I'm happy for him but um it was a sticky time he had at the start of the season
4: yeah all right well guys look we we've actually made it through 2018 at least the podcast has the behind the scenes of the website we have a lot of work to do over the next 24 hours but i'm looking at this kev i think you're writing a a mid-season review for us am i right i am good hopefully done tomorrow what do you mean hopefully that's getting done don't be saying that um and Vito, you've got a couple of things what are you writing for the end of the year
1: I have two. I've just finished writing about the Italian national team and the year that was, 2018. So, yeah, read up about that, although there's a lot of pessimistic stuff, but I've written about them and I'm doing a feature on the top 10 youngsters in CETIA for 2018. So I've got those two coming
4: out. Excellent, well I've I've got a couple of things I'm looking at every Serie A team's standout player which is something that was recommended to us by a, a listener at Doria Boy on Twitter so thank you for that and I'm also writing New Year's resolutions for Serie A's big six sides we we're also looking at the 10 best transfers the 10 worst transfers, the team of the season so far and the the fun one is the top 20 Serie A players in 2018. And for this, we are all writing a, a list of our top 30 Serie A players, which is an absolute nightmare to try and come up with. I, I must have spent about four hours sitting down yesterday with a pen and paper, scribbling out names, drawing pictures, uh, writing Papu Gomez 100,000 times. But yeah. All right, guys. I, that's it. We've We've made it through 2018, as I said. Do not hesitate to head over to ForzaItalianFootball.com between now and Serie starting up again because particularly over the next two or three days, we are going to have a lot of things going up there written by the three of us and everyone else who contributes to the site. So well, you might not be listening to us, but you can certainly read our words instead. So head over to ForzaItalianFootball.com and do that. We will be back when... we'll be doing a mid-season review pod I'm pretty sure well I say we the, the site will I'm not sure who and then other than that we'll be back when Serie A starts back on the 19th and 20th of January so give your ears a bit of a break from listening to us and we will look forward to speaking to you again in the new year happy new year everybody and all that's left for me to say is ciao for now